good morning. Y'all having a good week this week so far? I mean, I know it's, it's only like a few hours into the week, but I hope, you're, I hope you're having a good week. It's good to see you all. My name is Taryn Howe. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to speak last week. Uh, I'm not the normal person who's up here teaching, though uh, Pastor Rick is, is normally the one who's speaking, but I get to take his place a little bit because he has, he's got all kinds of stuff going on, but this week him, his wife had uh, knee replacement surgery, and so he is just helping with her and serving her and loving her well through this, and so y'all keep them in your prayers and keep me in your prayers since I'm taking his spot, and he, he's got big shoes to fill, and so, uh, but I, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity to come up here and speak with you. Last week, we started this series called Everybody Always, and our theme for last week was love people where you are, and we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan and how we're supposed to love people unconditionally like the Good Samaritan did and extravagantly like the Good Samaritan did, and then we kind of gave this challenge at the end, and this is a little differently than, different than how we normally do this, but we have these maps on the side, just in case you missed it, these maps, there's one for Santa Rosa over here. And Escambia over here, and I might be getting that wrong, but that's okay. Uh, but and then when there's fingerprints on them, you'll see because the fingerprints in the, the video, we were trying to bring that together. I thought it was pretty creative. It wasn't my idea, so I can say that. But uh, we asked you to just find a place that you frequent. Think of a place that you, you're at pretty often throughout the week. Maybe it's at home or at work or school or coffee shop or the gym or whatever that is. And just choose somebody while we're going through this series to love the way that the Good Samaritan loved. To love unconditionally and extravagantly and then put your, go put your fingerprint up there. And so if you haven't done that yet and you want to still do that, you can, we'll have a time of prayer today where you can do that. And then also you can just do that through these next couple of weeks that we have this series going on. We still have these ink pads that are up here uh, by the communion and there's some wipes up there so you can do that. But feel free to do that later during our prayer time. But just kind of want to bring you up to speed where we are. So today, Today, our series is called, or, or the, the theme for today is called Catch People on the Bounce, which is kind of a weird sounding series. But before I get into it, uh, let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've blessed us with. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak. Let this be a time for us to all learn. And God, I ask that you just take over my words. Let them not be my words, but yours, that uh, my words would fall short, but that your words would ring true in everyone's ears so that we can leave change today, so that today we can leave and love people well, love people the way that Jesus does, the way that you do, God. We thank you for the love that you've poured out on us. Help us, if we don't know that, to experience that love today, maybe for the first time, and then help us to share that with other people. We thank you for all that we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title of today is Catch People on the Bounce, and this, this series comes from a book, Everybody Always, called Everybody Always by Bob Goff, and he tells a story in here, and it's kind of a weird story, but I'm just going to tell it, because uh, he, he, so his son was a bit of a daredevil and loved to go skydiving. I have a picture of some people skydiving. There you go. That's, I, I thought that was just a fun picture, but so his son loved to go skydiving, and he decided one week he was going to learn how to skydive. Now, Bob right now, I don't know when he did this, right now he's, he's 59, I just heard an interview he did the other day, he's 59 years old, so like he, he was going to go out skydiving, and uh, he decided I'm going to train, go take all these lessons while my son is at work, and then the next time I go to drop him off to skydive, I'm just actually going to get out and get in the plane with him, I'll kind of surprise him, and so he did the next week, and he gets in the plane, and he gets up in the air, and he's a little 
timid to say the least. His son, quite the daredevil, does this like backflip out of the plane, and you know he just <laughs> they have to kind of you know push him a little bit. He's holding on his fingerprints, you know, claw marks in the sides of the plane. But he, he jumps and he said, it, but it was an awesome experience. He said, but I learned so much in doing this. I learned a lot in in the training. You know that he said my time in training, they tell you a lot more about what to do if something goes wrong rather than if everything goes right. You know, if everything goes right, you just kind of fall, and there's this little tennis ball thing behind you, and you, once you get to a certain altitude, you, you pull that, the parachute comes out, great. You enjoy the rest of it. They said, but if, everything, if something goes wrong, you've got to handle things a little differently. They said, so what, what typically will happen if something is going wrong is you pull, and the chute comes out, and a lot of times the, the strings will be tangled together, and so the parachute will open a little bit or not really open at all, or it'll open quite a bit, and you'll think you're okay, but you're really not okay because the strings are tangled. And so then you have to pull the, the straps on the front of you, which is your emergency chute, and release that, and then that you'll be safe. And he said, well, that's what they told me. And then I said, but wait, what if your emergency chute doesn't work, you know? And I don't know if you've ever heard the saying about skydiving, but if at first you don't succeed, don't go skydiving. That's, that's how it goes. So, uh, so yeah, so, I mean, this, this is one of those, what happens if both of your parachutes don't work? And they said, well, you just really enjoy the scenery. Enjoy the fall because like, it's, it's your last. All right, that's it. But then they went into a little bit more morbid of detail, so you just have to just bear with me. But they said, when you hit the ground, the, you actually don't die when you first hit the ground, which I don't even know if this is true. He wrote it in the book. You can call him about this. I don't know. But he said you don't die when you hit the ground. What happens is your bones all break in your body, or at least I'm assuming all break, and then you bounce, and then you hit the ground again, and then when you hit the ground again, then your bones that are all broken kind of puncture, and you, it, it's, yeah, it's, anyways, it's, 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 it's messy. But you die on the bounce. And so he said, Bob said, I got a plan, though. If both of my parachutes don't work, I hit the ground the first time, I'm just going to hold on to the grass, okay? That way I don't bounce, and I'll be safe. I don't think he really understands how this works, but, that, you know, that's okay. But his point in saying this was that we run into people, this is how people work, too. We run into people all the time in our lives who have just gone through something. We, we talked last week about the Good Samaritan and how I said at the very end of it that, you know, really there's this person that's beat up on the side of the road, and oftentimes that's us. You know, there will be a point in our lives where we feel like the beat up person on the side of the road, and if you haven't been there yet, I, I think you will at some time. I hope you don't even. I don't wish that on you. I just think there are times when we are just beat up and broken, and we need somebody to catch us on the bounce right before we hit again because it's usually not the first thing that happens in our life that's really hard that kind of takes us out it usually is is uh, after uh, several things and it's like life just piles up on top of you and you don't know what to do and so we need people to come and intervene for us and we have the opportunity when we see people really to do one of two things we can look at them and see their story and see you know well I see the situation that you're in and you know you kind of you kind of did that to yourself like you, you, maybe you deserve some of the stuff that you're dealing with. And so we can kind of sit on the sidelines and judge from a distance, or Bob says we can catch people. And that, that's, what we're, that's what we need to do. This is what Jesus calls us to do. So there's a great story in the Bible about this. It's another parable that we'll be teaching from today. We did the Good Samaritan last week. This one is on the parable of the lost son. 
This is in Luke chapter 15. This will be most of our teaching if you want to turn there, Luke 15. Or there are sermon notes in the backs of the pews in front of you. It has all the scripture laid out so you can follow along. And so we'll read from here, Luke 15. Now, I'm starting off in, in verses 1 and 2. This is not the parable yet. Uh, this is just giving you some context into who Jesus was talking to. And it helps to form the story a little bit to know this. So Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So these are the kind of people Jesus attracted. He, had, he attracted you know, the sinners, the people that were kind of... Uh, you know, disrespected by society, pushed off to the side. And then this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. He was even eating with them. Because when we eat with somebody in this culture, a lot of times, you know, it shows that maybe I condone of their actions. But I think Jesus was really more concerned about showing people that he loved them rather than what culture and the society thought of him. And so he has, you have these two groups of people. You have your, your very obvious sinners on one side. Tax collectors were so despised. They, were really, they had really betrayed the Jewish people in a big way, and they cheated and lied and had people killed. It was, I mean, it was awful. And so these, you had these sinners, notorious people on one side, and they knew that they were sinners. And then you had these sinners on the other side who just didn't really realize how bad of sinners they were. They're the Pharisees, the religious people. And so they, these two groups really didn't like each other. They, they really despised each other. And so Jesus tells three stories for all of them. A lot of times we view these stories just for the, the sinners that are, are lost and far away, but these, these stories are really for both of them, both groups of people. He tells first, and we're going to skip the first two stories, uh, but I recommend you go and read them, the lot, parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Now these are just about how God rescues people who are lost. And then he gets to the third one. This one, there's a little more unpacking here. It's kind of a, a big parable. And just in case you don't know, I mentioned this last week, but a parable is just a story that Jesus told to teach a lesson. So we start in verse 11. But before, before I get into it, I, don't, just, I want you to look as we're reading through this. Uh, look for incidences of the Father's love. There are three really big ones in here where the Father's love really shines through. I just want you to kind of be aware of that as we're going through it. In verse 11, it said, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. Now, this, this was huge <laughs> that he would say this. This was, this was him saying, really, Father, I want you to be dead. I don't, I don't really care about who you are. Uh, I, I really care a lot more about your money and what you have to offer me than you. Very disrespectful, especially of a father who in this culture was very, very highly revered. You, you did not talk bad about the patriarch of a family. That's just how this society viewed this. And so, very disrespectful thing. Uh, the, the audience would have been really taken aback by this. Uh, and so, he, he says this, but then look how the father responds. You would think, you know, the, oh, this father, he's about to get him. He's about to let him have it. And it says, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. His father just agreed. He just, this is the first incident. He just loves him. He knows, he knows that this is the wrong choice that his son is making, and he just chooses to love him through it. A few days later, his younger son had packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. 
the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything so we see what's happened to the younger brother he has abandoned his family uh, this there was actually a, a name for this I just, I just found this out it was pretty cool this week uh, there's a name for this whenever a Jewish person would go out into Gentile which just meant a Gentile is just not a Jew, a Gentile land and spend their inheritance. I want to read this to you. It's from a, a book called Through the Eyes of Middle Eastern Peasants, uh, Luke 15. First century Jewish custom dictated that if a Jewish boy lost the family inheritance among the Gentiles and dared to return home, the community would break a large pot in front of him and cry out, so-and-so is cut off from his people. And I'm sure I'm going to mess this up, but the ceremony was called the Kazazah. That sounds good, though, right? That, okay, we, and it literally means the cutting off. After it was performed, the community would have nothing to do with this wayward person. By selling his inheritance and taking it with him, the prodigal takes a huge risk. If he loses that money among the Gentiles, he burns his bridges and has no way to return home. He has no more rights to claim, and no one will take him in. So when the Pharisees, and I'm just assuming here, but when the Pharisees hear this story and that he ended up with pigs, which are unclean, you should not be around a pig if you're a Jew, right? Uh, When he ends up with pigs, I'm sure the Pharisees were quite excited about this. You know know when you have those moments that you have somebody you don't really like that much, you kind of have some ill will towards, and you hear something negative that happens to them, and you just kind of rejoice a little (laughs) inside, like, oh, that feels my day's a little brighter because their day's a little worse. I think that's what was going on here. The Pharisees were excited about this. Look, he deserved that. Look what he did. He left his home. He deserves to be hungry and out there alone to be eating with the pigs. But then we read in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Now, I believe this line right here in verse 19, when I see this story, I just think this is probably a real rehearsed line. You know, he he wanted to make sure he got this right. I can just see him walking back home. It's like, all right, when I see him, I'm going to say... Father, I'm sorry. You know you do this, you have like a hard conversation coming up and you, you, you practice your words like in the shower or something. It's like, okay, Father, I've sinned against you and, and heaven and I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. He has the speech rehearsed and we know it's rehearsed because we'll see it again in just a second. And in verse 20 it says, so he returned home to his father and this is where the story just takes an incredible turn and we get to see God's love shining through. And while he was still a long way off, His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, there are so so many things in this culture that are really wrong with this. Like a a patriarch would not run. You'd have to lift up your robe, and you'd show your undergarments. I mean, there are a lot of things. They don't run. And so, I mean, even the idea, he sees him a long way off. He runs to him to embrace him. His son said to him in verse 21, and here's, here's, remember, he practiced this, okay? Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Now, I just want you to know, if, if my kid did this, whew, I don't know how I would respond to that. I think if my, my kid left and took my money, and then he comes back, probably my response would be, like, where have you been? What have you been doing? 
where's the money? Okay, uh, you, took a, like, you took a lot of money. What's going on? Where's the money? Don't you know what, you, what could have happened to you? Don't you know you could have been killed? Don't you know you could have been hurt? Don't you? I'd probably, have, I'd probably have my own speech prepared. Oh, if he comes back, I know what I'm going to say to him. Because this is what we do. But the, the father gives such an unbelievable response. So he, the, the son says his very, this younger brother says his very rehearsed line. And then the father says, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must now celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. You see how the father doesn't even say anything about this rehearsed line. It's like he kind of ignores him. And I think it's because the father, the father just knew. He, he, he knew that he had, he had made a mistake. He didn't, need to, he didn't need to drive that in. All he needed to know was the way that he is loved by the father. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really incredible. And so this would be a great end to the story. If the story ended here. But remember, Jesus was talking to two different audiences. So he had, he had some people who really, these sinners who knew they were sinners, who really represented this younger brother in the crowd. But then remember, he also had these people who didn't think they were really all that bad. You know, I, I pray and I go to temple and I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. And so he had to, he's got a little second half of the story here. In verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, <clears throat> the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Now, the older brother here should have joined in on the rejoicing. I'm so glad my brother's back. But his response is a little different. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And so here's, here's the big third act of love that we see from the father. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. So he's going into his rant here, the older brother rant. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. And he is now found. See, it's really an incredible story of God's love, not, to, not just to the younger brother, but to the older brother, the patience that he has with the older brother, but also the, the redeeming qualities he gives to the younger brother that, you know what, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you've done, or, and you don't even have to explain it to me. I'm, I'm here with open arms, ready to show you love and mercy and grace, but the older brother couldn't get it. Like when the older brother looked at the younger brother, and, and the Pharisees couldn't get what was going on with these other sinners because they didn't understand where they had been and, and, and the shoes that they had lived in. We had, <clears throat> my wife and I had a, just one story that I, I will never forget. We went to a hearing one time. We're foster parents, and so uh, at times we have to go to different court cases. We went to a hearing called a TPR. And it, it means to terminate the parental rights of somebody. And it's, it's one of, I'm telling you, it's one of the most devastating things ever. It, it is awful to see. 
Uh, but this is where the court and really the judge is determining whether or not somebody, some parent, is worthy to be called the parent of this child. And we knew, we went to one of these cases, and we knew the, the mother that was in this situation, and, you know, we had, we had been really kind to her. You know, we'd been kind to her, but I don't, looking back on it, we would both admit that we did not really love her the way that we should. We did not love her the way that Jesus requires for us to love her, because there was a lot of times we sat back in judgment and, you know, kind of like, what are you doing? I mean, we just think, like, what, you're, what are you, what are you making these really poor decisions with your life? And although they were poor decisions, that wasn't really our right to say. And what changed for us is we go to this case, uh, or we go to this court hearing, and then this mother gets on the stand, and she begins to tell her story. And she starts with her childhood and uh, how she had been raised, and she had gone through the foster care system and, and um, aged out of it. And she talked about things in her childhood that happened that nobody ever should ever have to experience. And this was a continual thing for her, the stuff that she experienced. And I remember just being in awe of this. I mean, I was, I was overwhelmed. We, we left the, the court hearing. We had to it was a long ways back home, and so we talked about it a lot, and we're both, like, crying during this. I mean, it was, it was a tough time, and I remember us talking. I don't remember even who said it, but one of us said, you know, if I would have grown up like that, I would make the exact same decisions she did, probably even worse. Like, she, I think she's handled it better than what I would have done, and it really opened our eyes to you can't really understand all of what somebody is going on, what somebody has going on. The, the point I have here if you just love filling in blanks, is when, when you understand someone's story, you understand. When you get to see some, what is going on in somebody's life, you get to really understand why they do the things they do, why they act the way they act, and it, it's much easier uh, to understand what's going on in their life. And I think the younger brother didn't really understand why the Pharisees acted the way they did. You know, or the younger brother didn't understand why the older brother did. And the older brother didn't really understand the younger brother did. And why do they make these different decisions? But, you know, they weren't really in each other's shoes. And they didn't. And the truth is that the father, who represents God in this story, did understand. And he didn't even care. It's not that he didn't want them to act differently. But he just loved them anyways. And I think that's the thing. So I think it's good for us to understand somebody's story, but it actually gets a little bigger than that. My next point is almost counter to this. It's, it's not your job to understand. It's just your job to love. Because a lot of times we want to, we I think when you understand someone's story, it's easier to love them. But you're not going to get that opportunity. Most of the time, I don't think we get to know what all somebody has gone through, what all they're experiencing, what all they're facing. And to really catch people on the bounce, to catch somebody in a very tough time, that means we lead with grace, and we lead with love, and we lead with mercy. And you know what? I know you've, you've hurt me, and I know the way that you, you know, you, you've talked back mean to me, and you talked mean about my family and about my kids or about whatever. Uh, our job is not to sit back in judgment of why did they do that or what's going on with it. Our job is just to love. And whenever you can get rid of kind of that filter of, well, I only love them if they deserve it or if they do something right, then that's when you get to really be like Jesus in these situations. Because we're going to have these situations where we, get, we meet people and we don't know what's going on, and we just are called to love anyways. Because we don't know what everybody's experienced. 
And so this is what the call is for us today. If we're to catch people on the bounce, if we're to get people in these really tough situations where they just face something that is, is just devastating for them, our job isn't to find out all the details about it or to even understand it all. Our job is just to love people unconditionally, just to love them the way that Jesus did. So I've got, I've got some real practical things, real practical ways that I think we can do this, that we can just put into practice this week. We can, you can leave here today and start this. Uh, just some real practical things. First is to be with people. Just, just be with people. What, uh, our very Christmassy verse here, it's not really just a Christmas verse, but Matthew one twenty three. it says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I went to a church at Christmas Eve service. I was out of town, and I got to go to one. I heard this, uh, somebody, this pastor tell a story about this verse, really, and, and about kind of the implications of what it means. And I loved it so much that I'm going to steal it. So he, he, was, he was saying that uh, there's this husband and wife, and the wife was a former addict, and the husband was always concerned that she's going to go back into these things and back into the, the things that she's faced before. And one day, sure enough, she doesn't come home. And so he calls her and he texts her and he calls her and texts her and can't find where she is or what's going on. He's so worried about her. And then eventually he finds out she, well, she's in this hotel. And so she, he goes to the hotel, finds out the room, knocks on the door. She opens the door and she's just weeping and she hugs him. And she's like, you know, she's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry I did this, and I, 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 I was so ashamed of this. And he, he said, well, I've called you, and I've called you. Why didn't you answer me? Why, what, were you, what was going on? And she just said, and he, and he said, what's different now? And she said, well, there's something, you're here. You're here. That's what's different. You showed up. And I think this is what God did for us. That, you know, it's not like God didn't talk to people before and God didn't give us rules and a right way to live before. But there was something different when Jesus showed up on the scene and stuck with us in the middle of our pain and in the middle of our hurt. And, and, and he can just experience it along with us. And he can, we understand that he understands us in a different way even. We get, to, we get to see how he experienced that. And so this, something for us to do is just to be with people. Walk with people through their pain. Go sit at the hospital with somebody. Just be with people. You don't have to have all the answers. Actually, you probably shouldn't even act like you have any answers. Just, just go and listen to people. And this is one way we can catch people on the bounce. And number two is to be available. I tell you, this one, this one is the hardest one for me because I, I feel like I have a pretty busy life. But I think everybody feels like they have a busy life, so I don't even know if that's fair. But like, I got a job and school and like 100 kids. And you know, so uh, this, this is a tough one for me, but I, it's so worth it. It's so good. Uh, Bob Goff says in his book, he says, try it for a week. Loving people the way Jesus did means living a life filled with constant interruptions. Take the calls, interrupt your days, be excessively available, and you'll be just like Jesus. You see, Jesus, Jesus was constantly interrupted. He'd be on his way. I mean, there's a story where he's on his way to heal somebody, and somebody else who needs healed comes and interrupts him, right? I mean, this was, this was a constant thing, but be available for people. Be available. Don't, don't view them as interruptions. View them as opportunities uh, to show them the love of Jesus, to impact somebody's life. Be available for people. And then my last one here is 
tell people who they are, not what they need to do. Tell people who they are and not what they need to do. I, this one, I feel like this could be a whole, whole sermon's worth in this, but this is just so impactful. And, and I, I'll tell you, if you have kids, this is fantastic to do with your kids. I have one of my sons uh, who's seven years old. His name is Zeke, and I just, I'm crazy about him. He is he is a wild, he's passionate about everything. He's passionate about, like, rice. I, I mean, I don't know. I was trying to think of what's, the, what, what's something that's just so plain, rice. I don't know why that came to mind. Okay, but he has an opinion about everything, and he will lose his temper and, and so fast. And, and so, you know, we used to parent very differently, and we're trying to change, and we get this wrong probably more than we get it right. But what we do now with him, when he, when he loses his temper, and this is just one example, you know, he's got his thing of losing his temper. We all got our thing. So, but we'll go and tell him, I'll, I'll get in his face, and hey, Zeke, hey, Zeke, listen, you just lost your temper back here, and you, like, threw a shoe at somebody over rice or something, right? And, uh, you know, you, you lost your temper, but that's not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You are a child of God. You're, you're growing into a man of God, and men of God don't do that. Men of God love people and they encourage people, and you know what? Sometimes they don't get their way. Probably most of the time they don't get their way, and they just, they just love anyways. It doesn't matter, and so that's what we want to do, and so instead of me just telling him, what's wrong with you? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's, no, no, no. Let me tell you who you really are, and I'm telling you, it, it, it it's amazing with kids because the more you tell them this, the more they become this. The more you speak life into somebody. This verse, I, I just, I love this verse. One of my favorite verses and I love how the message says it so this is one by in the message Proverbs 18 21 it says words kill and words give life they're either poison or fruit you choose every person every conversation you have everybody you interact with you have the opportunity to speak life into them or really to speak death into them and we wanted to be people to speak life into them. That's, this is one of the best ways you get somebody in a, in a hard situation. You catch somebody on the bounce is by just speaking life into them. Just going to speak truth into you about who you are, about who I see you becoming even. Do this, do this. And Jesus did this too. Jesus, Jesus told people, he gave people new names. You know, he, Peter, you're a rock, okay? And like Peter wasn't very rock-like when he told him this, okay? He was, he was, he was kind of sandy and squishy. Like he was not a rock like you think of, okay? But Jesus saw something in him that he didn't see in himself, something that he could call out of him. So do this for people. We actually had uh, one night at, at MOVE, which is our senior high camp. Uh, one year we, we were challenged. This is where a bunch of church groups come together. There's probably about a thousand people there. We were challenged, each leaders of the individual churches that were there, to one night, they were talking about finding your identity in Christ, and they said, we want you to give new names to all the students. And all the leaders, we, we kind of disregarded this a little bit. I mean, we did it, we did it, but it was like, oh man, we got a lot of stuff to do, and so we got to do this too. And so we sat around, and we, we prayed about it, and gave them all new names. It was amazing, our time together that night, we're all sitting in a circle, and there's, you know, 30 or 40 of us, and we hand out new names, and it's like name tags they get. And we give them not just a new name, but we tell them what that means. And we went through each person and just say, what's something that maybe we see in them that they don't see in themselves? And that was the most impactful night I've almost ever had. It was amazing. We couldn't believe it. I mean, we had students just weeping in this because somebody finally told them something encouraging that they don't necessarily hear very often at school and at everywhere else. 
But this, I'm just telling you, this is a great way to catch people. So these are my three practical things. We want to be with people, be available, and then tell them who they are. And then I, I, I want to kind of close with this a little bit. But this, this story that we read today that we're, I'm teaching from, this uh, parable of the lost son, it's often called the parable of the prodigal son. And now prodigal, I just, I just want to put this up here of what this means. It says, prodigal says, spending money or resources freely and recklessly or wastefully extravagant. And then the second definition is having or giving something on a lavish scale. Now, scholars debated this actually quite a bit of what to call this, of like what the title should be, not the actual words in it. That was by the author, Luke. But uh, of what to call this. And, and so there were some people, you know, most people landed on it should be the prodigal son because he went out and was extravagant and he wasted stuff. But really, it's about two brothers. And so what do we do? But the, and then there was another whole side of it that said, no, 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 this should be called the prodigal God. Because God was the one in this who represents the Father who poured out lavishly his love on people. Who just loved them extravagantly when both of them in their own way did not at all deserve to be loved. He chose to love them anyways. Uh, Timothy Keller writes a whole book called The Prodigal God. It's an awesome book. I, I think we have some in the library. You should go get it. But, and and it, it talks about this, that, that God is really the one prodigal because he's so lavish in the way he loves us. It's so over the top the way he loves us. And so as we're kind of closing this out, I, I want to just leave you with a challenge uh, this week that just to kind of find where is it that you fit into this. So there's this younger brother and this older brother, and the younger brother is somebody who is obviously, uh, you know, has, has maybe lost their way or they're not, they feel very, I love the words it says, they're, they're far off from God but it also says that God sees them when they're far off and maybe you even have your speech prepared for God like this younger brother did like well I gotta make sure I get all the words right and I gotta and we have this idea a lot of times that well really to get back to God I gotta clean off the slop from the pigs you know that I have on me and I gotta make sure I look nice and neat before I come to God but look at God's response in this God comes to them in the middle of of their slop he wasn't really worried about the words that he was saying he just wants you to know that you belong to him that you're a child uh, he, you know in, the, in this story the, the father gives a ring to the child and that, that ring represents sonship that you belong to this family and this is what this is what a, if you are if you feel like I am far from God this is what God has to offer you you know, you don't, you don't get everything right in your life and get it all cleaned up and then come to God. You come to God with all your filth and, and dirt and everything messed up in your life, and you let him work through that and clean you up. And you have the opportunity to do that today. If you've never given your life to the Lord, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, we want to hear about it from you. There's, there's cards you can fill out in the back of the, your pews, and we want to follow up with you. We're gonna, about to enter into a time of prayer, and you can go and pray with somebody, talk to them about it. You know, if, that, if you feel like I'm the younger brother, if you really are relating to that in this. But then also remember, this is a, this is a two parts. There's two audiences here. And so there's also this older brother. And the older brother is really me in this story. The one who, I know I belong to the Lord, but I still, man, I get it. I really get it wrong a lot of times. I, I really miss opportunities. And, and, and I definitely don't love people well, especially I don't love that younger brother who I should love as well. 
And so for the older brothers, I want to I want to encourage you to be the one catching people on the bounce. Go out in your week this week and find people who are in need. It, they're not hard to find. They're everywhere. I mean, it's everybody. Go and look for people who are in need. Be with those people. Be available for them. Speak life into them. Encourage them. Love them the way that you want to be loved. Love them the way that Jesus has already loved you.